I, I mean, I find it very interesting that we have Crisp Alice now. Why don't you Why don't you give the people a little bit of Crisp Alice if you're recording? Let me let me start recording now, and I, I'm now starting recording. And you now have a, a Crisp Alice, as you say. Um, yeah. I, because the uh, the Trash Boys and my other podcast, well, there's your problem. Uh, both of them chipped in, and now I have a broadcast quality microphone with a mixer, which I can use to ruin the podcast forever. <laughs> no, no, no. See, I no, think no, no. I think when people like do a history of like this show, they'll mark this point as being like the moment that Trash Future like declined uh-huh. because when we all became Chris. I don't have drops yet, but I could, and that's a threat to hold over you. What I do have is I have a dial that just says gender. <laughs> let, let me just turn my gender up to maximum gender. Oh, so what happens is you bought this dial from uh, Andrew Murray, who wrote the Labour Manifesto, obviously. <laughs> yes, th- this, this dial is fucked, though, because it only goes in two directions, which is not what I want. Yeah, it's this dial is less woke than Joe Biden on gender. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we can- I have all sorts of like treats and delights. I have like voice effects and I have a swear button. So I can say, for instance, that Prince Andrew is <laughs> Welcome to this bonus Patreon-only edition of Trash Future, that podcast you're listening to right now. We are running on a skeleton crew of me, Riley, on the boards. Uh, and Hussein. I had to come in from home today because no one was going to be around. And I was like, I was in my car being like, how can I cancel this? And I realized I couldn't because I love the fellas too much. Yeah. Exactly. Because we turned the gender on your friendships to the fellas. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The fellas <laughs> once, that, once that's done, it's over. Um, and we are also joined by Alice from Crisp Glasgow, the city of high audio quality. The, the city currently being battered by Storm Dennis, the second consecutive weekend of a named storm just wrecking our shit. Oh yeah, this sounds good. What, what really sort of bothers me is that all of these named storms basically are, they're fucking with Scotland and Ireland and the Southwest and London is just still like inconvenienced but fine. Yes, yes. Meanwhile, we're getting trampolines blown onto rail lines. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. We love it. Um, Man, when, when Justin wished, I wish I had more content for the podcast. I, I wish he didn't point that wish here. <laughs> um, but so we got we got lots going on today. Uh, we are first going to talk about the reshuffle, the big bad reshuffle, and the question on everyone's mind when the reshuffle happened is: Is our perfect, beautiful boy Matt Hancock safe? Yes, and I am very pleased. You know, every time he's not on screen, you should be asking, "Where's Matt Hancock?" <laughs> I, I'm very pleased to report that our precious boy is safe to health minister another day um uh yeah i'm largely we're largely ignoring um uh, the reshuffle right now because i'm sure it will have some significant consequences but at the moment it's just whatever suella braverman says next yeah uh the biggest change up seems to be rishi sunak in treasury and the big change here is that well sajid javid was willing to stand up to boris johnson 
Uh, Sunak seems to be much more like, no, Treasury is just going to do what number 10 says, which is a real departure from previous administrations. So the sad, welcome to the resistance, you know? Yeah. I mean, also, like, they basically replaced like the Virgin Sajid Javed. If we're talking about like exchanging from one South Asian to another, they did the whole like Virgin Chad thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so like Rishi Sunak is basically the same as Sajid Javid in every, except like he's kind of like on the, on the gender dial, he's kind of like ramped up a little bit. So, <laughs> well, it's three gender. So, like this. Right. So, like, no, but it's actually really interesting because it's sort of like Rishi Sunak is an Oxbridge guy compared to uh, Sajid Javid, who wasn't. Sajid Javid has a much more working class background, right? right? They, but they both worked in finance, but Rishi Sunak had like a slightly more senior job. And at Goldman Sachs rather than Deutsche Bank. Right. So, like, yeah. in, but almost their trajectory is almost the same, except like Rishi Sunak's is kind of slightly more prestigious, which is where the whole like version Chad, st- Chad <laughs> stuff comes in. Also, Rishi Sunak has the Chad jaw, uh, yeah. whereas Sajid Javid has a perfectly round head. <laughs> the, 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 the virgin round head. I saw Rishi Sunak walking into Downing Street and he was doing the virgin walk. He was like well, looking at his <laughs> shoes. <laughs> well, it's because, look, virgin and Chad is all about perspective. Because the treasury is now the virgin treasury and the Chad number 10. <laughs> because ever since Gordon Brown, it used to be the Chad number 11, the virgin number 10. And now Rishi Sunak is basically saying, I'm just going to do whatever you say, basically, Boris Johnson. Completely. We've, we've ruined this podcast just by having the like weight-reduced, lightened, uh, jettisoning extra hosts for weight kind of uh, <laughs> yes, layout but we're we faster. have. Yes, we, so- we have jettisoned Elon Musk. And now it's just three of us. So, in fact, what's what in fact is going to happen most likely is that they're going to continue to like try to not raise taxes or borrow anymore, but they are going to like fund favored projects. So that's like HS two and then targeted spending in former red wall seats and uh, not not NHS, not local government funding. Gigantic flat cap subsidy. And the bridge. Yeah. They're so, building they're building the bridge. So James James friend of the show James Meadway described this to me as conservative MMT, where they're just going to print money to fund whatever it is that they want, whatever sort of clientelism that they feel that they need to do. Uh Sajid Javid would have been against that. Rishi Sunak seems to be fine with it. Uh, again, we're not gonna spend too long on it because it's like, sure, fine, great. We know it's going to be bad. We are pretty sure we know in which way it's going to be bad. Let's see how that plays out. What's more important to me uh, is that we learned from the reshuffle that Matt Hancock, precious beautiful boy as he is, takes his own chair to whatever office he is (laughs) occupying and... It's a director's chair with Hancock written on the back of it, as if you couldn't love him more. I think, like, it it would be a gaming chair, no? No, no, it's a director's chair. It's an actual director's chair, wow. Hussein, I'm not currently joking. Wow, been This has been reported. It is a fact that has come out of this reshuffle. Matt Hancock sits on a chair, a director's chair, with Hancock written on the back of it. Was it, like, part of the set from the Will Smith movie Hancock? (laughs) (laughs) Really, in so many ways, Matt Hancock is embodying the character of Hancock from that movie. Look, look, whatever it is, we know that Matt Hancock's favorite movie is almost certainly Hancock because it's about personal achievement and pulling yourself up by our bootstraps and overcoming... Yeah. And learning about your body, and there's lots of parkour, <laughs> and he would love it. He'd love the movie Hancock. Oh my god, he brings his own special chair. What a good, special, delightful boy. <laughs> he just brings his little chair and puts his little tushy down on it and then makes health policy. 
I swear to God, this guy's going to replace every bed in the NHS with a race car bed. <laughs> I, I sleep in a race car bed, do you? <laughs> no, no, I sit in a fine leatherback chair that has many genocides directed from it. Just the, the race car bed, if you take the legs off of it, it becomes a race car trolley. <laughs> um, also... Uh, Dom Cummies, uh, one of his advisors, has... That in the notes, knowing you would read yeah. it without thinking, and I'm so glad <laughs> Dom... I did. Uh, I, I called him. I think we called him Dom Cummies in previous yeah. episodes. Yeah, Dom, Dommy Cummies uh, got a new advisor, uh, and this has been... Um... One, of, one of his like famous weirdos. Yeah, he says he wants like a cabinet of misfits and weirdos, and Boy, early, did he get one. early on, I think we predicted that to Dominic Cummings, that means like... A bunch of people who commented, Oxbridge you know, guy, yeah. But but also people who commented on his blog about like the elements of the Spanish cerebellum or whatever. And we were right. We were right. That's, that's he just he just found a different kind of weirdo from the usual weirdo who goes into politics. So it's it's another yeah. example of like the lathe of heaven, right? Well, it's yeah. It's, well, it's I think it's not even a lathe of heaven. I think it's just a good prediction, right? Um, where yeah, the, the we lathe like, yeah. of heaven is where you like you dream something implausible into existence. This is just forecasting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is funny because find... he calls him because oh. his his special advisor refers to himself as a super forecaster. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, because that's but that's another one. Okay, so this guy's called Andrew Sabisky, and he dresses just like Dom in a scruffy jumper and jeans, and he's incredibly cocky and isn't afraid of telling everyone what he thinks, however senior they are. Um, cool. Yeah, he's he's he is he's basically because this is the thing. No, every you can tell that no political journalist in the UK ever spent much time posting on forums because <laughs> this this is just forum guys. Yeah, yeah. I I love the idea that like we're doing the Bannon shtick all over again with the oh he's this rumpled genius who reads and stuff. Uh, that's that's great to me. I want to know how long this fucking new dickhead spent uh, picking out like barber jackets and stuff so he could all about Eve Dominic Cummings. <laughs> um, so in an interview with Schools Week, Sabisky said, "Eugenics are about selecting for good things. Intelligence is largely inherited and correlates with better outcomes such as physical health, income, and lower mental illness." Um, so yeah, if 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 I was suffering from mental illness, I would simply get smarter with the help of yeah. eugenics. Also, you know, income, uh, and that's not at all heritable. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Of course, um, yeah, like no, it's. Does this guy by any chance have a massive forehead? Like, <laughs> are we talking like uh, I'm just envisioning this guy in my head, and I'm just thinking of like. O'Neill levels of forehead, and I, I no, realize not, this, this, is, this isn't me talking. I have a tall forehead, but it's not to that degree. No, but no, I, I, got, I, I know, I knew who this guy was in yeah. part because he is like part of this small group of like people on Twitter who think they're very smart because instead of sharing newspaper articles, they share like academic papers, um, and they were like loosely aligned to like the Houston signatories, uh, the ASI. Like and all this is the energy of this is uh, the kid in like primary or early secondary school who pretends to be smart because he's so smart he's ostentatiously reading the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every single person in Dominic Cummings is Dominic Cummings hires you for his cabinet and just plops a gigantic book down in front of you and says read this and memorize it and you'll have a job here next week and it's just the dictionary. <laughs> yes, I mean that, that was also biographical. I was that kid and so I know this guy intimately. 
Yeah. And yes, of course, fucking eugenics and what have you. Well, it's because one of these things where you get to just imagine that you get to imagine that intelligence is just performing well on a set of exams. And then you get to just imagine that there's a lovely, neat causal line between social outcomes and the thing that makes you perform well on exams. And I, I think a lot of it is just about wishing away that complexity um, in order to give yourself a nice, tidy little self-enclosed system that you can seem smart while advocating for and explicating. But another, another thing from this article, in the same interview, he said that modafinil, which is used to treat, which is used to treat sleep conditions, um, which makes people also like sort of more, fo it's like a study drug. He wants to prescribe universal study drugs. Everyone gets modafinil once a week. As featured in the documentary Equilibrium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wants to make Britain into equilibrium. <laughs> now, of course, of course, a guy like this, who, like I said, I, I was on this track for a long time before I, you Wait, know, is that equilibrium? Yeah. Is that or is it limitless? No, no. There's, I, well, there's it's equilibrium. They take pills to make them not feel stuff. It's very. Oh, silent. I see. Okay, all right. Okay. These are two kinds of take a pill to make yourself a super person. It's just an equilibrium. It lets you do gun kata, which I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Andrew Sibisky, when he was a teenager, tried to practice gun kata and made the noises with his mouth. <laughs> I was basically this guy, except after a certain point, I went insane and became a podcaster. Uh, instead of just being told that I was clever for the rest of my life, and then just sort of channeling this all the way through Oxbridge and picking up this kind of baroque pharmaceutical interest, uh, and then deciding, ah, oh, well, yes, if it if it helps me get through finals, then uh, yes, definitely, absolutely, everybody should be uh, taking this fucking glorified version of Pro Plus or whatever. But also, he says that it's um, giving everyone for the so from a societal perspective, the benefits of giving everyone modafinil once a week are probably worth a dead kid once a year. So if you want an indication of where that's going, uh, where, where, where this sort of government is going, again, as long as Dominic Cummings' star is sort of rising. You know, he is not the, etern he is not the eternity of this government. You know, Johnson has the power to kick him out if he pisses him off. Um, as what, that's exactly what happened with Steve Bannon and, and Trump, right? Like, Bannon was out because he overstretched Medici -like himself. like figure, right? Like, he was going to be yeah. this fucking, uh, like, this master of shadows, this universal spider, and then this bored, fat shithead who plays golf all day was like, he's, he's talking very bad about me. He's very bad. Very annoying. Get him out of here! He's no, he's 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 weirding out all the girls. <laughs> um, yeah, he was scaring the hoes, and yeah. possibly Dominic Cummings will, in time, scare the hoes. Also, we don't exactly. know. Uh, like, maybe he'll you, go and join that monastery that Steve Bannon is starting in Italy. <laughs> uh, but if you, this is just a guy who it's has like the guy in the name of the rose. <laughs> no, this this dude here, this this guy, uh, Sabisky, has just pressed his hands over his closed eyes and sort of tried to just turn himself smart by reading enough posts. And now you basically you you're basically saying yes, from a social perspective, everyone coding a bit faster is worth like the devastation of a family because that's what these people believe society is for is turning food into JavaScript. So fuck it. Uh, in other more fun news. Uh, Rory Stewart, uh, he's coming to a house near you. Yours. I've actually like signed up, so I'm hoping that he'll like come down to my area. I have like a bunch of plans, which include forcing him to watch episodes 25 and 26 of Evangelion. Uh, 
You probably shouldn't be what announcing else? your plans to kidnap the candidate for the mayor. I'm not going to kidnap him. No, he's going to come of his own accord. I'm not. He's going to come on his own accord. He's going to bring me a box of candy. Um, I'm going to I'm going to show him the pl- I'm going to show him like the most famous area, the f- famous part of my area, which is Belmarsh Prison. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even joking. That is yeah. like the most famous part of where I live. I've been to, um, I've been to where you live. It's real upsetting. It is a nice area. It's fine. It's fine. Anyway. Yes. Um, and it will somehow end with us going to Clapham Infernos, even though it's like not anywhere near my area. <laughs> just a picture um, of Rory Stewart just staring yeah. fixed into the camera, absolutely terrified in right. Clapham Infernos. <laughs> right. I just like want to give him an experience. Yeah, you want to give him a, an experience that starts with pre-drinking, watching Evangelion, taking a walk around the prison and talking about how you think your area could change, and then going to Clapham Infernos. <laughs> experience of every Vice UK article until like 2010. Where- yeah. <laughs> well, we I, walked I, around Belmarsh Prison well, I, and then I, went to a bad nightclub. That I, is true, I, Alice. You have nailed that one. I mean, the other, the other thing that I, I posted in our group was that, like, imagine like Rory Stewart on a night out with Andrew Tate. <laughs> uh, no, I don't want to imagine that. Rory but, Stewart trying no. to pull Andrew Tate back. So, <laughs> no, Andrew, it's not worth it. Um, yeah, his strange high voice. No, so what happened is Rory Stewart has been conducting this um, please have me to stay campaign where it's homelessness, but it's cool when he does it. <laughs> yeah, Rory Stewart is just is walking around, is walking around season doing one of odd Trash jobs. Future Milo when he was still <laughs> sleeping in the studio. He's yeah, he's just like. No, like, like Rory, Rory Stewart's looking at like you know hobo carvings on people's doors. It's great. <laughs> Untrustworthy person lives. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. Um, you know, pot- potential voter. So his idea is that it, as an independent mayoral candidate for London, Rory Stewart is going to um, hear London's Londoners' real concerns by going to stay with them for a night. Yeah, he's gonna do the thing that we saw Dominic Cummings do in the Brexit movie, where he just like puts his ear to the street and like hears London and doesn't come yeah. back with like a shitty ear. Yeah, because like the thing is, like if if you are going to be a conservative politician, but you also want to seem as though you're listening to people, you can't just give them stuff that they want. You have to make this real show of being personally attached to them, like Michael Bloomberg is currently doing. Yeah, yeah. Two two very yeah, but, normal uh mayors or would be mayors there. Yeah. What Mike what Mike, Michael Bloomberg, what is he paying like like some hundreds of dollars to like to some of the worst Instagram we, comics? Uh, w- uh Michael Bloomberg sponsor the podcast. Give us uh like $12,000 a month and we will do a special episode just for you about how good you are. Uh yeah. you have to keep paying us or we'll take it down. Yes, absolutely. It, the twelve hundred twelve thousand dollars a month is rent uh, for that spot in our RSS feed. Uh, no, so this is this is just weird. Uh, it appears that Rory Stewart is just being a British John Kasich, um, and is just gonna, gonna is he's doing his campaign in full hobo mode. He's yeah, he's just really trying to get murdered, I guess, and that's fine. I you know I respect that. I respect the authenticity. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, fucking hell. Uh, like, what? Also, what could you possibly tell Rory Stewart when he shows up at your fucking house with a sleeping bag? The only people who will do this, who will invite him in, are the people who want to bitch about their neighbors, right? Oh shit! Sorry, I realized this. Sorry, he's not. 
of course, he's not actually, he's not a homeless person. He's a vampire. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. Can, Please can invite imagine, me over this river. Can you imagine like a weird situation where like you wake up in the middle of the night and you just see Rory Stewart in your kitchen? Just like sitting there, just staring at the wall, not doing anything, just staring aimlessly and blankly. Just putting um, ice cubes into a big glass of milk. And then as you're kind of wondering whether this is real and you forget that you invited Rory Stewart to your house, he turns to you and he says, that's a lovely bus you've got outside. Oh. Um, anyway, that's probably going to happen oh. like when he comes to stay at my place. So. Oh, God. I mean, um, he's going to turn... Honestly, the way his path to power in the mayoralty is if he can turn more than 51% of London into different kinds of Renfield. Yes, yes. He's going to like turn those into like um, vampiric cattle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't smoke opium. <laughs> what um, is a man a miserable pile of secrets have at you <laughs> so um anyway that's that's really fun i i wanted to i wanted to include that but there's actually not that much more there um other than just rory stewart is a vampire is a vampire hobo and he wants to be let in so he can put your blood in his bindle yeah which which is funnier uh for, for the purposes of future bits hobo rory stewart or vampire lord rory stewart <laughs> Both at once. He's just yeah, wearing a, wearing a cape, but like also those shoes tattered. that are kind of like open at the, at the toes. Yeah, he's we he's wearing a tattered cape, um, and he's wearing a, a Romanian like sort of count's hat, but the top has popped off like a tin. We've just written what we do in the shadows here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He is he is what he is the what we do in the shadows, guys. <laughs> um, so also let's let's talk about something else though. Um. Our our fucking wretched media has been really playing on my mind recently, and people are asking if Sanders is going to get the Corbyn treatment, and I think the answer to whether he will or won't, and what that will mean, is probably rooted in the media and how different the media environments are. So, this I, I sort of started thinking about this when I saw candidates for labor leadership playing guess the celeb on victoria derbyshire yeah um, uh, I, I i what i want from my prime minister is being able to recognize people off of love island just disappointed at least that andy didn't know what who xxx tentacion was <laughs> <laughs> or Adam, or Adam yeah but, Re yeah. but rebecca long bailey was on them like that so you know <laughs> rebecca long bailey was really into soundcloud rap um, <laughs> Just yeah, Rebecca Long uh, Bailey getting really into techware for some reason. The, the, the whole <laughs> stupid thing about the, there being this insistence, and I swear it's an insistence that has been invented in newsrooms and editorial desks, that politicians must be personally relatable to the electorate is one I consider to be very annoying. Like the stupid, stupid video that Momentum put out today of Rebecca Long-Bailey in her constituency office, hearing the very real concerns of two real leave voters who just looked like the most, I'm going to have to use the bleep again, uh, gonna, like looked as if their sole political platform was never letting the police dig up their patio. And her just going, hmm, well, yes, you know, that is a concern, but the austerity, uh, mm -hmm. it's just very, very dismal and bad. Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? Like, and this, what gets into this is the uh, Lord Ashcroft polling that got released about why people switch from Labour. 
And the headline is... We went woke and we went broke, is the idea, right? Yeah. And, like, part of the headline is, you know, top five reasons for labor losing, according to defectors. One, Brexit. Fair. You know, you, you got us on that one, in my opinion. Two, Corbyn. Three, division. Four, no longer represents its traditional voters. And five, undeliverable promises. So one through five, not racist enough. <laughs> Just in different but, ways. But also, like, I think one, fair, right? They've, like, they, one of the things that happened was we the labor let itself get taken over by FBPE. And Which is why we can't let fucking Keir Starmer be the next yeah. leader. But aside, we're, not, we're not, not really getting 2019 here. What I notice is that, like, things, things like uh, no longer represents its traditional voters, undeliverable promises, division, and so on. Like, a lot of this stuff, to me, is just evidence that we have a media that is, in turn, fundamentally unserious, but fundamentally uncritical um, when, when it comes to... Well, questioning its own biases. I mean, of course it is. That's what it's supposed to be. If anything, that's what we've learned in the last sort of couple of months. That's what we're learning in America. Well, we, we all fooled ourselves into thinking that we were past marks and we weren't. Uh, yeah. it, it's all just superstructure. The other thing, b before you go off on the media fully, is not to go all Sunset Boulevard, but I do think that um, one thing is, I don't think that Labour no longer represents its traditional voters. I think its traditional voters have changed. I think it's them that got big or whatever. Uh, because they're all yeah. now uh, like fucking retired buy-to-let landlords. Well, what I, what I noticed about this was a, a all these interviews of the Labour defectors, the polling all assume, and this the polling is going to be used to just bash the left of the party and try to you know, make sure, double ensure Kira Starmer gets the leadership because, you know, the, well, a lot of the quotes are things like, I don't need free broadband. It's just 20 pounds a month. <laughs> and mm. th th yeah. that amount of money we can all just spend like that. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the idea that, like, yeah, if you are a, if you're, yeah, if you're living in, you know, Bishop Auckland or whatever and you voted Labour by habit forever, but like those areas have been draining votes since forever. Um, the the way these questions are framed, the way and the way that this report has been reported on, has been that this was a change that was precipitated by this election, and Wait, there was nothing leading up to this. No, and and furthermore, um, when I say like a lot of this stuff, really, it, it it ends up just being a national survey of who reads what newspaper. Because I'm going to read some of the um, an excerpt from the report that I think is quite telling. Uh, some had felt that the party had come to embody an excessively politically correct or woke culture, which would be intolerant of what they considered sensible mainstream views. First quote, Sarah Champion in Rutherham was booted out for saying that the vast majority of child abuse groups were from ethnic minorities. She was speaking the truth, but because it was racially insensitive, it was, oh, you can't say that. Why? It's 100% true. No, it's not. No. What about the, the, is, is, is it also like uh, child abuse groups? Let's see. Wait, oh, wait. The royal family allegedly with Prince Andrew? Uh, the BBC with Jimmy Savile? A uh, lot of child. There's a lot of child abuse going on. Yeah. Uh, it, it's basically and, the only piece of white British culture left. I don't. I don't <laughs> what they seem to be doing is saying that it's just they're just saying a Daily Mail headline. That, that, that is just a Daily Mail headline. Yes, there's, there, there is no original thought in that sentence. It's just yeah. being repeated back. Yeah. 
How do you, how do you know it's true? I read it in the paper. What paper? The Daily Mail. There you go. I mean, it's not always. I've been thinking a lot about this because I think that it's not necessarily like newspapers per se, but it's also just about the fact that we're kind of surrounded by more media than ever before, and a remarkable amount of people get their news from YouTube or they get them from Facebook and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that like newspapers aren't important, especially in this country where newspapers still set an agenda, right? And, and with this like, generation too, because uh, right. we're talking about older people. Who are less yeah. likely? They're, they're they're typing Facebook into Bing right now <laughs> with one finger. What we don't really recognize, and I've been thinking a lot about this in terms like post election and kind of these questions about well, why did like the left, like leftist media strategy, not work out? And I don't have an answer to that per se, but like I know that in like like right wing spaces there is a very efficient distillation network. And it begins with newspapers. It begins with kind of right-wing tabloids doing the same shtick, but now they have more outlets to do it. So before you would just have like paper reviews and you'd have maybe like two or three paper reviews on BBC News, Sky News, etc., And they'd be like in these kind of very small compartments and you might hear about it once or twice a day. Now you can log on and a newspaper will kind of have this story and that story might be bullshit, but then it'll be replicated across like all these sites who are just trying to like gain traffic, right? So they'll kind of pick up on all these reactionary stories about grooming gangs or uh, like, you know, immigration, you know, these kind of bullshit stories about like, you know, migrants take like taking over places. Um, And it would be like replicated so many times that eventually like it gets shared on every social network. And then once it gets shared on those types of metrics and you have these kind of very prominent, say, right wing YouTubers who see that, oh, this is like a big thing that people in my circle are talking about. So I'm going to now make this like really like 16, 20 minute video or even like these hour long packages, which are just centered on this thing. And that ends up like reinforcing these narratives. So even by the time that like any corrections are issued or even by the time you read the original story and you're like, oh, this was like really over-egged. And I've seen this a lot with like professional media people who kind of go to these stories and they're like, oh, it was over-egged and we'll do like kind of like a more nuanced take at, you know, 10, 11 p.m. on like Newsnight or something. But by that point, it becomes like, in a, it becomes ineffective. Yeah, and if, if right? anything, you're still amplifying it because then, you, you know, the, the people who have yeah. come through all of that right-wing ecosystem can point to, if nothing else, the ad that says, uh, you know, Newsnight, 11 p.m., the truth about grooming gangs, and say, see, right. even the sensible bourgeois politically correct people yeah. are taking it seriously enough to put it on the TV. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, like, there's such a... And, like, I speak about this as someone, like, who's been in media for a long time and who worked in a lot of mainstream media organizations which is that this system is very very strong and like i'm not sure how you would dismantle it um because it's been there for such a long time and when that system basically defines what goes on the news agenda and what doesn't and you have so many people's like so many journalists like jobs that are dependent on this like distillation of of, like infant like this information distillation network it's sort of like this is what british news media is like and what we're talking about when we're like trying to like talking about fake news and everything isn't about combating stuff with facts. It's about dismantling an entire system that has kind of been around since at least like the eighties. Yeah. And well, I, I just, do, I do see the, uh, the kind of, uh, there is this well-intentioned, but I think incorrect idea that we should get into that gutter too. There should be this like left way of radicalizing people. Uh, and we don't necessarily need to worry about, you know, there's even to the point of saying, you know, why don't we do fake news? And it doesn't work. It hasn't worked uh, when people have tried it, just because you need that baseline of institutional support that we are never going to have. Well, it's because what it, what it is, is that they consider these sensible and mainstream views. These are because 
these are always brought on. You can't make a left appeal to common sense, except in certain very narrow ways, uh, Mm. like things are your boss's fault. It's much more difficult to be like, well, actually the reasons behind grooming gangs, with big air quotes, is a series of very uh, like nuanced problems, and that kind of elides, and as soon as you say the word elides or nuanced, you just kind of lose people. Well, yeah, of course, because people don't want to be talked to that way, I think. I mean, fine. It, no, I, 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 I can barely even stand yeah. to hear myself most of the time. <laughs> but the like, other thing, right, is that there is... It's, I, I don't understand... I don't know what to do about this system. I think over the last couple of years, we have just come to understand it. I, I, I think that the... I, 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 well, I always noticed was weird when I moved here was uh, the process of doing paper reviews. I've never lived in another country where the where where the pre- the press me the the press is able to lead the 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 framing of every day's news so much because and again just for American listeners what happens is every morning on all the major channels the news agenda of that day will be set when the main presenters of their like morning show or whatever will then take every major newspaper and the telegraph the daily mail the guardian whatever whatever and then they'll have people on to then talk about the headlines and so whatever fucking viscount rothermere decides he wants to be in the news agenda it's not just in the daily mail it's also on every radio and tv exactly exactly and like uh, it it becomes respectable because now it's on radio 4 or yeah. now it's on BBC News, and mm-hmm. we should also like talk about like the actual in like the media industry itself, which is kind of just gutted at this point. So you end up having like these army of like students who are straight out of you know or doing like shift like trial shifts, wanting to get some fucking low paid job in a newspaper, paying job to it is stay just, in somebody's spare room. Whose whose job it is is to like reproduce like viral stories. So I used to do this, and you know. I had an editor who was always kind of saying, but look at like Mail Online because they have like this amazing algorithm which tells you the most popular things that people are talking about and maybe we can bite into that traffic. So again, you even have like, you you have like in this country at least, you have the Mail, but you have Mail Online in particular who not only have the cultural clout um, and the air of respectability that has been around since the 80s. Like we have to bear in mind that like the, the, like, the Daily Mail has been what the newspaper that most civil servants still read or like and is mandatory reading for a lot of them i mean in order to kind of find out what the quote like what the national conversation and what the national concerns are um and then you have what is effectively like a very advanced technology company like mail online that have that have like a giant team dedicated to like this algorithm which produces tons and tons of content and is able to kind of monetize that content really fast. But it's it's um, a it's a trash future segment in reverse. We normally right, do almost, something yeah. something that isn't a tech company pretending to be a tech <laughs> company, and here we have yeah. a tech company that's pretending to be a media company. Well, they're kind of both, but like they kind of ride off each other. So the fact that this technology company like is does like really dodgy stuff and it exploits people and you know it kind of still you know it it, it still does a lot of very questionable journalism. Um, but they have the air of respectability because of how long they've been an institution, because of Rovermeer. Um, and then they can use that to kind of leverage their tech company out, right? So they are prominent in like both spheres of space. And it's really hard to like, well, how do you compete with this institution that now has this advanced tech that no leftist organization 
um, even kind of notable soft left organizations like The Guardian have. Mm. Well, um, for, for a time, the answer was going to be podcasts. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we were, we, were, we were laser focused on that. We thought, oh, we're going to, we're going to make a difference here. Uh, that was season one. Season two, yes. we're much more jaded. <laughs> yeah, welcome to season two. Well, see, but, season two is more like, please don't listen to the podcast. Yeah. I'm well, here's the thing: you could, but you could also you can trace this back round to um, to policy, right? Where okay, two arguments here. First of all, um, they d- just like always, technology doesn't give rise to new th- to new tendencies. It just accelerates whatever's already there. So, but the Sun used to be the Herald, which was uh, owned by trade unions and was a labor paper. So it's if there the idea that there is this like slow drift right of the middle aged working classes. I mean, it's it's not a fantasy. Like that is something that's been happening, but it's not happening because. And I quote. Um, you're a bigot if you don't agree that there are 125 different genders, which is another thing that was said in this Lord Ashcroft report as to why people switch from labor. Well, like, part, part of the other thing is that they're also, in many cases, not working class anymore, because that's been a decades-long project of class mobility, of you can buy your council house, you can start yeah. a small business, you can it's, become a landlord, uh, and that's been is, very it's, successful. It's, Margaret Thatcher, I, 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 this is the quote that I, I will always remember. Margaret Thatcher made the middle work made pr- favored elements of the working class into a new middle class, and then Tony Blair proletarianized their children by universalizing university, or not universalizing rather, um, debt financing and by debt financing university and making it a requirement for any job. You know. Um, anyway, but what I mean is right, like the, the there is the, there's this push and pull. Uh, between people who have begun moving right economically, between a me- uh, between a press that has begun moving to the right, and I don't particularly understand, you know, how, how how what you sort of end up doing about it. I think we're still in the stage of coming to understand it and its power, um, which is kind of a worry, given that we have ten years of climate left. Uh, yes, that is a bit of a worry, isn't it? But you kind also- of we're kind of on the clock here, is what I'm trying yeah. to suggest. Yeah. So, uh, if you have any know. ideas, write into the studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, but the, the, when I talk about this moving right, right. So we see that that first thing, which is um, the the technology that Hussein's talking about is accelerating an existing trend of newspapers in the UK just uh, being so universally slavishly respected by the rest of the media and so tightly controlled by their owners that they are able to just basically write policy from the editorial desk. Um, and two, which is this thing where they, they also, they're aware they have that power. You know, like, that's why, you know, they say, like, um, uh, you're a bigot if you don't agree there are 125 different genders. That's why I, what we say, just let me say, you're a bigot if you don't agree there are 125 different genders. That's why I switched my vote from labor. It doesn't make any sense unless you begin to realize that there were there was not one labor manifesto this election. There were two. And the second labor manifesto was written as a poli- piece of collective devising between the editorial desks of the Mail and the Telegraph and, yeah, the Guardian as well. I mean, there's also one important thing that we should bear in mind as well, which is that one of the things that has always plagued this country when it comes to media is like it's fetish for like access journalism. And for all the problems that have existed in the US, like I think over here, um, 
like deference to I don't know if deference is the right word, but like capitulation mm. to sources of power in Westminster has kind of built the career of so many people that we know now. Mm. And I think that like, and this was always a problem, right? Like there were lots of journalists who always complained that they would never like have access to exclusives from, uh, you know, Labour because Labour were giving it to like, no, Labour were giving exclusive interviews like Novara Media and stuff like that. Like, or you had Labour groups that were much more open to independent outlets. And even I think Corbyn said this at some point that he wanted to kind of empower more independent media projects and favor mainstream organizations less. And that really pissed a lot of people off, right? Um, and I think that like, even when we think about what happened, we think about how the Tories were given a very, very easy ride. Like even if we're speaking about policy, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really remember a lot of like policy analysis going on generally, but I'm thinking about what you were saying about the broadband thing and how that was made fun of by the punditry class. But this was like one of the very few moments where it's like, oh, you're actually talking about like policy this time around, right? Um, and I think that there is like this, there is, there is this fear among lots of media people that like, what will happen if we lose those channels of access? And now they've been rewarded with a government that will reward people with access if they fully capitulate, right? Um, yeah, they are. They are absolutely. It is absolutely. It is absolutely a patronage game at this point. Right. Yeah. I, the, but, uh, the, the one thing I did want to say though is that the latest uh, and. Uh, most maligned to me personally, and therefore most important example of this uh, like laundry happening is exactly what you just mentioned: the 125 different genders. Uh, that being uh, like trans people didn't start fucking existing this election cycle, but you may be forgiven for thinking so uh, because that's now been that's like that's an issue that you can use, and it's it's being used and it's being driven from fucking Graham Linehan and the Daily Mail all the way down. That's yeah, it, and and you could even draw a nice little circle, which is that where, which is that there, there, which is that there, there is a a group of people that sort of just is scared and atomized and lives in uh, I don't know a house they bought in Bishop Auckland and considers themselves culturally working class, but like has a pretty good ISA and owns their house and everything, and they say, oh, twenty pounds, I can I I can afford that. What we need to do is deal with immigration. What I can't afford is the immigrants yeah. coming to my house and doing the knockout game on me. <laughs> and, and you can just trace that into a per you can just trace that into a perfect circle between between the the media prioritizing the, the specifically the right wing media machine that is swear to God is going to get us all killed. It's it just turning me first, turning the clock, and then just what's that? Oh, I just said me first, Not actually <laughs> first, just first of us maybe. Just turning, turning this th th this dial of rage up about sort of immigrants or trans people or whatever that becoming common sense, and then when when people who are again already atomized and frightened and stressed, uh, who are being more and more terrified by these newspapers because that's their business model, then going to their their like local CLPs or their MPs or emailing or. Or, or talking amongst themselves or whatever, and coming to an agreement that there is this problem, there is this panic, and what and and, and we are it's framed in such a way that the one party is always going to be this the heroes who save you from the thing that's stressing you out, and the other one is not going to. And in the last eleven elections, the only time that Labor's got the only time that Labor's gotten in 
have been when the sun decides to panic you about the other party. So, and I, I, mean, I don't even remember what their panic was about the Tories. Does anyone? It was like maybe some kind of sleaze thing. I think it was connected. I wasn't it connected to the ERM because um, because John Major sort of conducted basically took Britain through a Europe related national humiliation through the ERM. Mm. I think that's what it was. Um, but uh, like, what and this is something that you and I came up with in conversation, which is that like this has to be understood as simulacra. It's very obvious simulacra. Where the, 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 the knockout say, game is a simulacrum. Yeah, where like there were there, when I say there were two labor manifestos, I'm serious. There were, there was the one that we all know the manifesto to have been, faults and all. It wasn't a perfect document, but it was fine. Um, and then there was the labor manifesto that was written collectively the editorial desks of the Mail and the Sun and the Telegraph and so on, that was saying, like, you know, Jeremy Cor Corbyn is going to do gender to Trident. Um, you know, are you going to nationalize sausages, as was asked to, I believe, Angela Rayner? Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and that was the, the, the manifesto that most people were presented with. And well, it, was it, was, kind of, it was a purposeful misreading, but it was also like chasing headlines. And I know it, it was, like, but what like, I'm saying is that they were, they have... They wrote a new manifesto between them. They created a simulacrum of the Labour manifesto. Inadvertently, it is yeah. very postmodern because you just kind of uh, uproot this <laughs> this empiricism to just have a consensus reality. Uh, yeah. Also, I I guess I also just wonder like how much of it was kind of mainstream media outlets' kind of lack of imagination or lack of and maybe imagination is not the right word, but like lack of like a future vision. So when you're presented with this document, it's sort of like, well, how do you interpret this? Because this isn't a manifesto where it's like, we'll improve certain areas that already exist, or we'll make these tweaks, or we make these changes. Like this was, like, you know, almost utopian. To, yeah, I mean, by their standards, I think to like lots of people in like the labor movement and like quite like much more ardent leftists, this was like a very milk toast. And uh, also, just people under thirty-five. Right. Everyone forgets this. The the, the people who constantly yeah. have in the back of our minds. Oh, hey, ten years of climate. Uh, but like we we had that like we had that politics home guy. I think who was just like, well, I'm quite happy with my um, internet service provider. So why would um, free internet be like a priority? And it's sort of just like, well, this isn't about like you and like your Netflix subscription. This is about like the future of the internet, right? And like who owns it? And now we're going to, now we're in a government where like Matt Hancock is probably going to sell the whole fucking like British internet yeah, to, Neopets. to be great. Uh, Disney plus, right? Um, because, be you know, because he saw baby Yoda and he was like, cool, little bait, like, you know, yeah. really just like found that really cute. But like, that was the thing. I think the way that lots of media outlets approached this thing was just, was they first went on the basis that, well, Jeremy Corbyn, is kind of like a social like a, an old school socialist utopian anyway so his manifesto is going to be a reflection on him even though that's not how the labor manifesto works and they knew it didn't work well, like it, that it is a will it is a will is willingly foregoing your critical faculties you know it's, it's what that's that thing you know we say it's never about malice or inco or incompetence it's about the fact that incompetence creates the space for malice to move and what this survey proves to me proves to me beyond a shadow of a doubt is that is that if in terms of just making this country a better place to live there is there is a concerted machine to make sure that doesn't happen i mean that should come as no surprise to any of us it comes as no surprise to me just as on a psychic level or whatever the idea that you can have a manifesto that is too optimistic because we're a shit country for pricks and we want everything to stay dismal forever like we like it 
Well, yeah. this is, I mean, the most blunt example of this is when Boris Johnson goes around saying that, like, well, after Brexit, we're going to have this, like, amazing country and we're going to have so many great trade deals and, like, you know, and no one believes that, but no one ever kind of, like, questioned it to even the degree that people questioned the broadband thing, right? Um, and they just, you know, they took it as, like, so they, with Boris Johnson, it was like, oh, this is more just, like, an eccentric character that we know and has been favorable to us and all that. It's not utopian. It's just right. bullshit. Everything is going to stay yeah. dismal, and which we're and think, comfortable yeah. with. And I think you're right. I think Riley's right in saying that, like, this isn't about malice. This isn't about kind of, like, opting for the Tories over Labour. This isn't about, like, deliberate rat-fucking. I'd have some respect if it was deliberate rat-fucking. I think it's some like, of it is certainly deliberate rat-fucking. But I feel like the crux of it isn't deliberate like, rat-fucking. What it is is just, like, broad incompetence combined with the idea that they can't really see what political reporting would be like outside of access politics and minor tweaking. Because that's what they've been used to for so long. And in many ways, like, whatever Labour leader we get, I think even, like, with Rebecca Long-Bailey, we're going to go back to a period of, like, we're talking about minor tweaks of stuff rather than any sort of radical change. Because we fucked it. Yep. Um, and, and I, I mean, what, but what this drove home for me so much was just that, like, it, it, it's... We are going to get beaten and beaten and beaten because the telegraph hates us and i don't know what to do short of i don't i wouldn't want to be a member of a party that the telegraph likes no well the the, the good news the good news if if such there be is that because these people skew older and because history keeps driving on regardless uh more of them do die every year <laughs> Demography is I, I I don't want to go back to demography as destiny, which is what it isn't. There's it. Yeah. we have to we have to very carefully husband our zoomers to make sure that they aren't like uh, radicalized against us. But <laughs> so long as we're able to do that, and the fact that the sea level keeps rising militates in our favor, then uh, all of the people for whom basically they're fine. You know, more of them are going to die off, and the rest of them are going to increasingly be not fine. And what I'm hoping is we can just kind of like be thrown clear of the accident in a kind of trajectory where a <laughs> good action movie, yeah, where things become not fine enough for things to change, but not not fine enough that everybody dies. So basically, what we're saying is, until we can think of a better idea, take we're going off your be... seatbelts, uh, yeah. wind down the windows, and just kind of try to lean into the crash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, what we're doing is we're we're buying our time. We're leaning into it. Uh, we're going to think of a better idea soon. We haven't thought of one yet, but boy, was this uh, was this survey depressing to read. <laughs> Lo love um, to love to be uh, you know one of the 125 genders and thinking about this even even more than it being depressing to read was just like the way that it was interpreted by the same media people as being like well look we were right we were yeah. right because you know when 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 you were when you were kind of criticizing us and calling us chuds on Twitter for criticizing Jeremy Corbyn for using gender pronouns in a, a oh video yeah they got so mad about right. that. Oh yeah, sorry. The 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 fans, the the YouTube commenters from Well, there is your problem. Apparently, uh, all live in Bishop Auckland. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you know, and they were so mad about that. I remember, like, after that video came out, and like all these so-called like sensible people, some of whom have written columns about why Labour lost and like why they forgot about working class issues or like without defining what those working class issues were. You know, and I'm not going to name names because we don't have a lawyer yet. 
but one of them did actually reference the idea that like Jeremy Corbyn was too obsessed with gender. Um, <laughs> there, were, there were two sentences about gender in the fucking manifesto right. and one of them was turfy. And this is someone who has made like a very significant amount of their career about this, right? So again, we go back to the beginning, which is like, who is setting the news agenda in this country, right? It's pundits. Pundits yeah. are the ones that set the news agenda. Yeah. But at the same time, they criticize people for engaging with that news agenda because it's not working in the way that they want. And I'm in this position right now where I'm confused confused about what the future of punditry will be, partly because the past few years have given rise to these new commentators who have built their careers off the back of these culture wars, um, who who have no intention of ever letting that go. If anything, they're going to ramp it up more. It, and it, I think, it's, yeah. it's every news, it's every newspaper is going to be right. Tommy Robinson's racial hygiene hour <laughs> column. But, that, but then at the same time, whenever you bring, whenever like we bring it, yeah, whenever we bring it up, and we're kind of very concise about, well, there's another side to this conversation. It'll like, maybe you should go speak to trans people, or maybe you should go speak to working class people of color. But you, you um, used the word nuanced, so right. get fucked. Yeah, right. And like, you know, it, we shouldn't even have to do that, but the fact that like you can even present that kind of lukewarm position only to then be told like, you're the reason why Labour lost and we shouldn't be talking about this. Like, I feel like sometimes when I think about this, I feel like I'm just like a rat in a maze. Mm. And then, yeah, I don't know. Well, also, by the, I want to, I want to say one more thing on this before we go on. I don't think anyone actually has any inbuilt opposition to like the word nuance or whatever. I think that they have been told that that kind of thing is bad for long enough that that's just it, right? All, all we really have proven is yeah, that, that that that's a long word, which is bad. Yeah. But cultural Marxism is fine. That's harmless. Well, it's a that's a long word, which is bad, and I know that's a long word that's bad because I've been told that people that use long words are condescending to me. You know, because it's it, because every single day you talk about oh the universities like to talk use their postmodern language to talk about genders and so on. So when you come, so your way of talking is then alienated from people again by by a reactionary media that wants to be alienating and that wants to make the language that could be used to criticize it seem condescending to anyone hearing it. And if, if I can just become a giant hypocrite and just throw the message of that uh, in the trash, uh, your, your Baudrillard, your postmodern answer to this is that the election didn't happen, right? Like his, yeah. he, he, he said 9-11 he said didn't happen because it was a, it, like the spectacle of it outweighed the actual event so quickly that they just lost control of the reality. Same deal. Like the, the election uh, as it occurred was a, like a night of immense trauma and alcoholism for most of us. And then the morning after, we just kind of woke up with an entirely different set of, uh, set of responses to it. Well, uh, I think that's true. The election didn't happen. It was just a survey on what newspaper do you read? We got owned so hard that we reasoned our way back to, yo, actually, this didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yo, honestly, like, prove to me that it happened. Um, I want to do, I want to, we have a, one last section before it's time to close, which is to say the beginnings of good night to SoftBank. SoftBank uh, is, I believe, on, it's not closing as a concern. It's a profitable company. It still makes a lot of money from like, Phones and, and a so bank on. is a profitable company. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, it's it's also mostly a um a, a mobile phone uh, manufacturer <laughs> as well. So uh, they they like they bought like shares of Sprint and everything. Like SoftBank as a whole is fine. The Vision Fund has now that's interesting. Um, so I want to quickly go back to uh, one of the companies you talked about in the past. OYO on your own. Oh, uh, the machine oh, for killing hotels. 
Uh, well, <laughs> they have laid off 1,800 employees and withdrawn from 200 towns across the country. So they are ramping up their hotel destruction business. It's perverse. It gets more efficient as it fails. Yeah, it, it's it's now it's reach once it reaches critical mass, the last hotel will be closed. Yeah, I mean they are they are withdrawing. That's good in the same way that like Norman troops having harrowed the north withdraw from it. There's no hotels left to close. Or or it's withdrawing in the sense that when a star collapses, it withdraws from the space it used to occupy. Yeah. Uh, so. That uh, they the sold all of the upholstery that they were stockpiling, and now the scam's over. They're just packing up, vacating yeah. the fake business address. Yeah, there, there never was an OIO in this town, and there, there never, there isn't an OIO in this town, and there never was. Um, so, but also with the bankruptcy of Brandless, the first SoftBank property to actually go bankrupt yet. Um, the SoftBank Vision Fund now looks as though it might be coming to an end. So, welcome to SoftBank Season Two. Um, as we chart its decline and fall. We're, we're retiring this plot line. Uh, but the, the poor Saudis, they put so much oil money into, into the Vision Fund, and then like bet yeah. so heavily on Aramco's IPO, and then certain events transpired, and then did now maybe it doesn't look so good. Yeah, uh, well, uh, whoopsie-daisy. Um, yeah, so, I hate to see it. Some of the so, nicest people who deserve it the least are uh, being pushed out of the give millions of dollars to the machine that kills hotels. <laughs> well, if you think about it, who's made money off of this? Upholsterers? Um, WeWork Vibe Consultants? Uh, it, it, it has been a very like meritorious hole in Riyadh's coffers. Uh, yeah, we've basically reallocated a bunch of Saudi oil money sort of semi-randomly according to the whims of some madmen. Yes, it, it is like, the, like uh, the, the children's toy where you push the thing across the floor and the colored balls fly up in the air and spin around. <laughs> so I want to talk about Brandless for a minute, the first company to have gone bankrupt. Uh, they received $240 million pledged from SoftBank. Now, the way the investment was structured, it, they, would all, they would unlock further tiers of the investment as they met certain markers. They didn't oh, like get being the whole on Twitch. of the funding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They didn't reach SoftBank partner status. <laughs> um, so Brandless is a consumer products brand. Uh, and for context, the next leader in the unbranded consumer goods space got $3 million of seed funding. Is, is that so, no name? The Canadian thing where everything... No, else? no, no. That's a, that's a private label of a grocery store. No, this is something else. This is, this is some like, so like... It's called like public goods or something ironic like that. Um, and so... The b business model of Brandless is, I think, almost darling in its naivete, uh, because they had no, no like branding, no slogans, and you knew that because their brand was that they were Brandless, and that they tried to acquire as much of the supply chain as they could, and they thought that by doing this, they could sell uh, have a grocery store where everything is three dollars. Ah, oh, the three dollar store <laughs> that we love to go to. Yeah, the, th the three dollars. Everything's three dollars. Dish soap, three dollars. Uh, bag of flour, three dollars. Um, bunch of bananas, three dollars. It's all three dollars. Everything's three dollars. That's yeah. What an incredible idea. Uh, <laughs> what a flat, a flat price? This this is what you do. This is this is the kind of business that you come up with when your society has been oriented in such a way that everybody is taking the mandatory modafinil. Yeah, it's, it's you find the perfect price. Yes. And, and, and then you charge everything for it. 
<laughs> you want to house three dollars? That reminds me, when I was at university, Kanye West came to give a talk, uh, prepared no notes, and then just riffed for about an hour. And at one point, said all houses should be five thousand dollars. And I was like, Oh, I was. I listened to that. Okay, cool. That was great. Yeah, I was. I was in the audience, baby. That was cool. Uh, it was. It ruled. I was like, Huh. Thank you, Kanye. Um. So the bet was that customers would appreciate the simplicity of brandless. Um, and the fact that everything was a cool threer. Yeah, the, the, that bill that we all carry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, just, just okay. you, you can pay this in obviously counterfeit $3 notes <laughs> that have like Master Chief on them. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Fast Company. Brandless introduced a fresh approach to branding. The CEO, one Sharky, uh, made the case that uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know the first name. I only it's have the last name. It's funnier if I assume it's a mononym. Uh, Sharky, <laughs> the CEO Sharky, uh, made the case that many grocery stores <laughs> one earring contain. <laughs> yeah, Sharky took off took off three of his nose rings to say, <laughs> uh, just wearing a pucker shell necklace that also yeah. cost three dollars. <laughs> Sharky stopped doing three dollars worth of worth of close up magic to then say. Um, that made the case that many grocery stores contain what they called a brand tax, which in the article, uh, B and T are capitalized, there's no space between brand and tax, um, which can be up to 40% of what the item actually costs to pay for the premium status and branding of that item. Damn, you're just buying the packaging, bro. Brandless, on the other hand, rejected the over-designed products that fill the grocery aisles. The company hired a firm Red Antler to create simple packaging, and each product features a white box and the label with a checklist of two to five descriptors such as organic or no added sugar, which were important qualities to consumers based on the focus groups that Brandless ran. It's a brand! You've just made a brand. Yeah. Not. I love that this, like, this stupid, stupid idea being randomly selected is having to make us relitigate Naomi Klein. I mean, it, I mean, it's very, it's, yeah, it's very Adbusters. It's, it's very Adbusters, the grocery store. No, it's it's very um, it's very Virgil Abloh. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, li- I like. It's Virgil very Abloh, Virgil though. Abloh with like, it's not a brand; it's a quotes brand. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like, like, they said earlier, yeah, there's a brand tax. It's forty percent of whatever it is that you uh, whatever it is that you're buying. Just buying the logo, bro. Yeah, but it's like, but it's it's not like these are the people who think that again. This is the adbusters thing where you think the problem isn't capitalism; the problem is brands. Mo- yeah, more more people, more American kids recognize the Nike swoosh than a maple leaf. I just... and, but the thing is, right, the 40% of what you're paying is the brand tax or whatever isn't going into the orange coloring on a box of Tide laundry detergent. It's what you're paying for the focus grouping and the design services and all the horse shit that Brandless still paid for that make you buy whatever it is you're buying. But they pass brand those ta- those savings onto you, the consumer, by charging a measly $3 for everything. That's the, the the brand tax should not be understood as a brand tax. It's a competition tax. It's the free market necessarily making shit more expensive because they need to induce you to buy theirs rather than someone else's. It's literal. It is literally the entire SoftBank saga, in a macro sense and in dozens and dozens of micro senses, is just like the reductio ad absurdum of market logic showing that it just doesn't work. It's also the Soviet Union, but shit and expensive again, because, like, uh, under socialism, you either have empty grocery stores, or there'll just be, like, one brand of flour that just says flour, 
on it. Um, <laughs> and we have that, but it also is extremely like it. It costs three dollars for some reason. Yeah, it, 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 that's the that's the other thing. Oh, we're not gonna let it's we're uh, the price signal like. At least it transmits information. Like it doesn't just transmit pure demand information. It also transmits information about like what people want to make and so on. It's a mechanism by by which power can be transferred as well. But like at the very I mean, least, cracking cracking open copy of uh, Capital Volume One theatrically. <laughs> at the very least, it does something. Yes, it it signifies a bunch of things other than yeah. you can pay for this with your Halo box. Yeah, and. Just, just trying to magic the price into being three dollars, not even by force of will, just by force of ignorance. To me, is beautiful. I mean, again, that is something that you accuse the Soviet Union of doing, of just being, or, or even like in its more communal moments, China of just being like, oh, they're doing price fixing. They just say that it's this much, and then it is that much. Yeah, but it's cool now because Pete Buttigieg does it, right? Of course. Oh God, Pete Buttigieg would that, love this that, company. That makes him actually a socialist. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, Pete, Pete Buttigieg hiring the people from Adbusters to do a flash mob for him. <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm oh. just very into the idea of PSL endorsing Pete because he's a dangest. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, when these companies started to lose money because uh, they had many quality problems uh, at high shipping costs, they tried increasing certain prices to $9. Uh, um, that's so, three whole Master Chiefs. <laughs> Master's chief. So the concept was like this is just some completely imbecilic scheme to just try to. We, we determine we determine the price by Sharky at headquarters, which for some reason is a houseboat. Just fires this <laughs> dart out of a Nerf gun onto a dartboard. Here's the crazy thing: their last bid for profitability, which is when they were taken over by a guy called Wittenhouse, was to sell CBD oil. Everything's coming up Wittenhouse. <laughs> they, they tried to sell CBD oil, and Sydney McElroy went in to own them while being filmed by her simp husband. <laughs> uh, but this also, this is like, this is a completely imbecilic idea that you can just, by the force of wishing it to be so, and throwing money at certain elements of your supply chain, just magic stuff into being $3. And yet they call us crazy. Doing the new economic policy to capitalism is a level of brains I had not ever anticipated. And that's and that's the thing. That's why I will miss SoftBank so much. So I said, it's not closing, but its characters are going. Its character is going to change. It's not going to be as fun. Yeah, they're, they're, the they're going to like remove uh, the Saudis from it, as the uh, acting as the role of the kind of like parasite that makes the ant climb to the top of the like sheaf of grass. Well, so what happened was the Vision Fund lost two billion dollars in the last quarter of last year, and its operating profit fell ninety nine percent. Operating profit is profit before interest and taxes. It's what we tend to be most interested in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you have to talk about Master now and introduce this this central figure who we all love to the listener. Yeah, so Masa Masayoshi Masayoshi San is like the the visionary in charge of SoftBank, and he became famous because he made an early bet on Alibaba, and that's like the last good investment he ever made. But it was so good that he's just been trading off of it forever. Yes, which makes um, him Asian Elon Musk, right? Like, yes, same yes. kind of fans, same kind of eccentric vibe. And so in a presentation to investors, sort of on the back of these results, he at the back of operating profit, just 
being basically wiped out by the Vision Fund. Uh, he, 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 he gave a strange PowerPoint presentation, as he often does, where he flashes up on the screen an image, and he says, what do you see? From your left, it looks like a duck, and from the right, in the same picture, it looks like a rabbit. You're, you're joking. Uh, the- no. I'm not joking. One, one of these per episode, <laughs> we have like a radiation limit like Chernobyl. You can have the Matt Hancock director's chair or this, but not two <laughs> in one episode. Our brains cannot take it. Oh, it's a, it's a, 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 in, in good science fiction, aliens can't fly to Earth and be bitten by vampires, except in the, in the book Blindsight, where that sort of does happen and it rules. Um, he but did, generally... He, he did shadow puppets... He did the vase that's like two people facing each other. Yeah, it was like, ooh, give me more money. Magic um, yeah. eye shares. Again, he's basically doing close-up magic, but uh, in a shareholder presentation. No, no wonder Sharky got however many million dollars <laughs> off this guy. Um, so he says, looking from the left, you look at, at EBIT, or operating profit. Looking from the right, shareholder value. If you want to know how SoftBank is performing, don't look from the left at profit. Look from the right at value. He's, he's just doing the David Blaine face uh, that he makes after doing some close-up magic shit. <laughs> just so, capitalism as implemented by Chris Angel. Well, it sort of is, right? Because if you're looking at value, what you're looking at is investing in alpha rather than beta. And when you're investing in alpha, you're looking to invest in step changes. You're looking to invest in things that are going to become more valuable because the market says they're more valuable. That's kind of what hedge funds do. They seek alpha. Whereas most companies tend to like get money by engaging in economic activity by being profitable. So what Son is saying is that he wants SoftBank to become more of like a, a holding company, kind of like Berkshire Hathaway. And so he wants to detach the value of SoftBank from the underlying operations of any of the companies that it owns and instead make it a pure speculation engine. Some more Baudrillard. I, I would like to opt out of doing stuff and instead uh, buy into this complex system of spectacle and magic. It is close-up magic. It literally is close-up magic. So what, but with a reason, though, the thing is, that SoftBank, for content, we like it. We like that one. However, as a result of the fact that now it's uh, being it's it's market capitalization, it's like to, it's its value is about sixty percent of the total value of its assets. Now, the total value of its assets may well be horseshit because we all remember what happened with WeWork. Um, but from a pure uh, ratio, um, uh, from a pure ratio perspective, it's a very valuable company. It's a very good one to buy. And activist hedge funds, like that owned by Paul Singer, have started taking big stakes in it. And what these activist hedge funds are going to do is then get seats on the board by buying up by buying up percentages of the shares and vote to make them do stock buybacks instead of, you know, I don't know, giving a billion dollars to a child's lemonade stand or a guy who makes hover bikes. Like, it, it's more likely to do boring stuff. It's the fucking so- magic circle. Right? Like, all of these old school, like, uh, hedge fund guys, and I say old school, like, hedge funds weren't, a, like, a 30-year-old invention, if that, uh, that, like, generates money through this weird uh, concept that is, like, does not make sense, have just taken it away from us on the basis that he's trying to do it, but in a way that makes them look bad. And so, I think what we have to see is that there is a, there's a battle for the soul of SoftBank between Massa who wants to make it weirder and more hype-based, <laughs> and Singer, who wants it just to be, please, a sensible, profitable company. And I think I speak, I speak for all of us when I say, 
Team Massa. Yeah, ga- Gun Bate. <laughs> <laughs> we are all on Team Massa. Um, I want to get Massa's going in the chat. I I I want to say I am four square standing behind Massa. I am his loyal bannerman. I would like I would like the they, that's where I want weirdos and outcasts. I want them in charge of tech companies, not in charge of the fucking government. Yeah, perversely do both more and less harm. It's just so randomly distributed. It's like a meteor shower or a satellite coming down, where it'll just be like, "Oops, looks like we don't have a hotel industry anymore." But it's still <laughs> less evil than yeah. anything you could do in government. It's considerably less fascist. Literally, literally, it is. You've made fascism less evil by making it so incompetent that it happens at random. Anyway, I think that's about time for us today. As I have to run, and I think we're all, we're all through all of the content. So I think it's time we hang up our podcasting sombreros until we meet again mm. tomorrow. We're we're all banging the pipe like the guy in Chernobyl for like the sign for like we've had our minute of radiation exposure and now we have to run back in and never think about any of this again. <laughs> and thank you, of course, to all listeners as always for checking us out here on the Patreon. We have a live show. We have a live show on the eleventh of March. It's going to be at the Vauxhall Comedy Club, the same place we had our last one. Please do come out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and we're also Ultimate Comedians Social Club. <laughs> we're also going to be doing uh, a live show at Bristol Transformed for the second year running. Uh, so do please get tickets to Bristol and come see us there. Even if you live in Bristol, if you're in South Wales, just fucking show up, chill down, hang out. I can I can, I can ruin us again. I can do the robot voice or the megaphone voice and be like, come to the live show. <laughs> <laughs> come up, come up, come to the live show. I have a button on here that says hard tune and I'm scared to. <laughs> um, so uh, other, other announcements. Game stream. It's every Wednesday at, at, at 6pm, every Saturday at 5pm, twitch.tv slash trashfuturepodcast. We had a fun one today with Sinan Coast. That famous thing that we all have to say, Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. <laughs> This Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday at six, six, six. Um, and let's see, anything else? Uh, you know, go go to Milo's website, see where he's touring. He's not here today, though, so fuck him. L- listen to Well, there's your problem. We're on YouTube. We're on podcast apps. Just like share, my, can, like this is more of like a general thing, but just like share my work, please. Like I need the numbers. <laughs> um, I post it out every so often. There's like nothing that I've got. Just change uh, your just, byline picture to the like picture of feet yeah. that goes up on the subreddit. Right. This is this is actually my one request, right? Just like just post pictures of my feet. Yeah, post pictures of Hussein's feet. Um and oh, I should have yeah. bleeped every instance of the word feet. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh I think that's it for us today. Do I have anything else? Uh no. theme song. Yes, the theme song, of course. It is as always, here we go by Jinsang. You can find it. On Spotify, listen to it early, listen to it often. All right, catch you on the Patreon, everyone. Bye. Later.